This is the Relic Radio Show, old-time radio entertainment still standing the test of time from RelicRadio.com. This week on the Relic Radio Show, your hour of radio drama begins with the zero hour. We'll hear Fair's Fair, you know, their story from May 8, 1974. After that, it's the big story and Jigsaw, their episode from January 26, 1949. You're listening to the Zero Hour. Rest your eyes. Exercise your imagination. Today, Keith Walker's convoluted tale of now you see it, now you don't. There's period. Jackie Cooper. In a mutual broadcasting system presentation of The Zero Hour. Brought to you by the makers of Hallmark Cards, Nabisco, Kodak, and the Ford Motor Company. This is The Zero Hour on Mutual Radio.
You know me, in and out like a shuttlecock, Pops. That's some act, Mr. Old Man Shuffle. Don't knock it, Gavin. Them fools lie to them nosy people. I don't doubt it. You still doing, uh, business? Naturally. Think this flea-bitten garage is a front for a flea-bitten garage? Good. I need two items by tomorrow night. A cold 38 and a parachute. Can do. Cold gun costs you extra, but sure. Yeah. What the hell do you want a parachute for? I'm going bird hunting. How much? Six for the gun, maybe yard and a half for the shoot. Pack them in a garment bag, have them ready by four o'clock. Garment bag costs you extra. Oh, come on, Pops. You got so much stolen inventory. Okay, okay. <laughs> you got to try, you know. See you tomorrow. No, you won't. Run a mile, be by to make the pickup. Trans-American Flight 44, now boarding Gate 5. Good afternoon, sir. May I see your boarding pass? Right. Over midway down the aisle, 27A is a window. Thank you. Yes, your boarding passes? Thank you. Left side and coach? Yes, your boarding passes? Thank you very much. Well, that's right here in first class. Thank you. That's a lot, Janice. They owe you. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Trans-American Flight 44 to Phoenix. I'm Janice Levis, and the charming lady and coach is Betty Cotton. Your captain for today is Gerald Andrews, and the first officer is Kurt Lowens. We hope you enjoy your trip on Trans-American. Thank you. Boy, what a motley bunch today. Just like a convention for salmon fishermen. Mm-hmm. You look kind of white around the gills. Oh, heavy night last night. Daredevil Daryl up there thought he could dance the orchestra under a table. Speaking of that, I guess I should hop up and get the master's coffee. No, no, you play Miss Sweetness of the Sheep, and I'll do the honors. Then... Trans-American 4-4, request 2-9-er-thousand, Jet Carter 6-J. Roger, turning now on new heading 160, will advise you Spring Station. Good afternoon, coffee. Before clear. Actually, is this one of those plane fly on anything else? Oh, I forgot, Kurt. Boy, 14 coffee, 11 teas, and one guy had the guts to ask for me. Don't they ever learn? <laughs> oh, we'll get that one. He looks good in the seat, but I'm loaded. Right. Hello, may I get you something? I can't seem to get the safety belt loose. Well, here, let me help. Where? Rear locker next to the laboratory, brown bag. I think that's got it, sir. Thank you. You all right? Yeah, just nervous to my eyeballs. It'll pass. Think of the money. Just past the lounge, sir, either door. Two minutes from now, right? Yes, I'm getting anxious. Right. Excuse me, miss. My belt's stuck, too. Only around your stomach, sir. Some people. Can we try to look up my you-know-what a minute ago? Uh-huh. Oh, that's Kurtz. I'll take it. Afternoon, Mr. Owens. Here's your coffee. Thank you, Miss Levin. First officer. <gasps> Mr. Owens! Dear God! There's a man out here with a gun! <laughs> Hello, this is Hugh Downs. Recently, I participated in a Ford LTD fuel economy run from Phoenix to Los Angeles, where the average for five cars was 18.8 miles per gallon with standard 351 V8 engines. The high was 20.3, and I averaged 19.7. My first reaction was surprise, because I think you'll agree the numbers sound a little high. So I'd like to stress that gas mileage depends on many factors. Things like total weight, maintenance, road and driving conditions, and you might not get the same results. 
But probably most important of all are your personal driving habits, how you behave when you drive. And one of the things we did in the test was to make a point of never exceeding 50 miles an hour. I think all of us who participated would agree that driving reasonably is a very modest price to pay for something else you can get from a Ford LTD. The good feeling of riding in a solid, well-made automobile. The quiet riding Ford. The closer you look, the better we look. I don't believe it. Now, which radio do I use? All right, give me that mic. Transamerica 4-4, what the hell is going on there? All right, calm down, Chance. We got the problem, not you. Now, here's the rundown. I jacked on board holding Betty Cotton hostage. Has a gun. How the hell did he get a gun on board? Listen, Everett, keep your mouth in order. Or do you want me to get on radio count of the old man? Okay, okay. Now, what is this idiot want? Uh, our EGA, your station, is 1400 hours. He wants a fuel top-off and a million dollars. Fuel top-off? What? Oh, a million, my aching ass. That tears are fine. A million dollars? What the hell are you says over a million? Listen, Everett, I got 63 passengers on a $12 million airplane, and in case you've forgotten, three pretty good crew members up here. And I remind you, that's why this airline pays insurance. Now, why do I tell him while he's waving his pistol? Well, I'll get back to you as soon as I can. From the looks of it, as soon as you can, won't be good enough. That's right, Captain. Tell him he's got ten minutes before I start five-minute funeral. You hear, Everett? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The old man's going to have some... Ten minutes, Everett. Starting now. Cut the radio, Captain. Janice Everett. Captain Danbury, some of the passengers have been asking about... Move one inch more, Officer Lowen, and this girl... Fire that gun and you'll kill us all. Now, wouldn't that be too bad for both of us? Hold still, miss. I promise not to harm a hair in your pretty head. May I answer? That's our radio link to company headquarters. Put it on the overhead speaker. Danvers. Chance. I can't reach the old man. He's en route to his home. But I call the FBI. Chance. You're going to get us all killed. Captain, do not use the radio anymore. Let the man stew for a while. But I can't. Quiet and do as I say. Now, Miss Levin, what about the passengers? Well, they know something's going on. I think they should be told. Captain, I'm releasing Miss Cotton here and taking Miss Levin. You will get on the speaker and tell them there is nothing to worry about. You may say there is a hijacker aboard, but that we were put into Phoenix. How long? Eight minutes. Good. Captain, you can't... Heard. Shut up. All right, miss. Let's go see the nice people. Do you think he'll follow through? Oh, yes, I think so, Gavin. He's no one's fool. This is your captain speaking. As some of you have guessed, we have a man on board who's using the plane to extort Raven's money from the nice earth. But it won't matter. However, you have well, nothing to fear. Have everyone strap in. I'll give you my personal insurance that we'll land very I shortly. Don't speak. The passengers and you'll be able to complain as good. I don't either. In fact, I'm planning on it. They've become too used to all the news stories about hijacking to do anything rash. Show me how to use this mic. I estimate about six minutes from now to we're able to land. Ladies and gentlemen, what the captain has been saying is the truth. I have no plans to harm anyone unless they get out of line. I see a gentleman in the third row. You, sir, please leave the seatbelt fastened. Behave, and in a little while, you're home free. Yeah, Chance here. Mr. Chance, John Turco, FBI. I'm in the tower. Your aircraft has just landed. Any word from your president? Yeah. Well, I don't know why, but he's uh, proved the money the bank of Phoenix is collecting it now. Should be hard. 
That is, uh, unless you got some suggestions. Well, I'm afraid not, Mr. Chance. I've got men posted around the field, including two snipers, but it doesn't look like the hijacker will come out. Mm. One thing, though, I'd like to try and get the passengers out in exchange for the money. Well, have you had any luck talking with the plane? No, sir. But maybe if you'd come up and give them the word about the money. Yeah, I suppose I'd better. Hey, why this end of the field, Captain? Well, I guess they want us as far away from the terminal as possible. May I? Go on. Danvers. Chance. The money's on the way. Two suitcases as instructed. Hundreds, fifties, and tens. A million dollars? I didn't know you could put all that money in. Please, be quiet. Uh, Captain, put this on the speaker so that hijacking bastard can hear it. It's on already. Oh. <laughs> well, yeah. Look, there's no deal on the money unless you release the passengers. Tell him the minute the money's on board, he's got him. Oh, I heard. Okay. Now, how do you get the money? I'll go. No, you won't. I've seen you John Wayne types before. Miss Levitt goes. The money comes back, the passengers go. Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. Well, I'll advise when the money arrives. Half of the passengers are on the bus, Mr. Chance, and Miss Levitt's back on board with the money. You sure this chase plane idea is going to work? Well, it's our best bet in case they set the 727 down in some remote field. I hope so. What do you think you'll do? Well, I got a hunch. There's no mention of destination. So? Well, a destination's usual in these cases, except one that I remember. Several years ago, a man named Cooper managed to grab a plane and then used a parachute to get away. Could be he's trying to send you something. Hello, I'm going to Afghanistan to hunt rocks, and I need a small camera because I... I've got six different models of the Kodak Pocket Instamatic camera, and well, you know, only... you need the Pocket 20. It only weighs about four ounces. Well, that sounds good. I have to walk over loose gravel uh-huh. for six months and what live with What kind of rocks are you hunting? Uh, diamonds. Oh, so am I. The Kodak Pocket Instamatic camera. Six different models. Starting at less than $23. Success is not inevitable. I've returned home many times empty-handed. Oh, so have I. (laughs) I remember growing up, but most of all, I remember Mama. The day she brought the new baby home and how jealous I was. Then Mama said he was a present just for me to love. Oh, yes, I remember Mama. The look in her eyes the day I became a mother. Then I understood it all for the first time. This Sunday is Mother's Day. Remember with a Hallmark card when you care enough to send the very best. Three minutes to go, Captain. I'd advise you to go IFR about now and get down among those clouds just in case they're smart enough to put another plane in our tail. Miss Levitt, come with me. I'll need some help with the shoot. You sure you know how to use this thing? Absolutely. Hey, what? You're not getting this money! Sir, don't! You're no. stupid! What are you, nuts? Hey! Oh. That ought to take care of oh, I hate to do this! What? Oh! Neatly done, Janice. Oh, I hate it. You should have been the one. He would have never let me near him. Besides, as we planned, Kurt had to be goaded till he was put out of action. Hey! Hurry, out of here! Quickly before Betty Boo manages to get out of that john. Oh, that lovely money is ours, Daryl. Oh, it's so exciting. All right, all right. Save the excitement for later. Help me get your friend to the rear stairs. Oh. There. 
I'll get back to the cockpit and release the ram safeties. You sure you can dump them out? Oh, sure. What the hell do I care with all that money? Oh, good. Remember to brace yourself when they open the ramp. Right. Yes. You fell like a rock. Oh, good. That part's over. Mm-hmm. Del, I think Hurt's coming, too. Well, my sweet, whack him again. Now get the money transferred to the garment bag your friend so neatly left us and let Betty out. Del, you're sure no one will suspect. I told you they'll never know. They'll never find the body, and even if they do, it'll look like his chute didn't open. What about the follow plane? Quit worrying. We're in cloud cover, and I won't report that he's jumped for another five minutes, okay? Okay, sweetheart. Good. Now, we get poor Kurt to the hospital. I'm sure the company will consider us heroes. And when we get back, you just plead nervous exhaustion and take that little vacation we planned. <laughs> Maybe even a company expense. So you see, Mr. Chance, with the company being so nice about everything, well, I, I thought I'd take them up on the offer and get away for a while. <laughs> of course, of course, my dear. Uh, take as long as you like. I understand perfectly. Uh, I just wish Captain Danvers felt like you and would take some time off, but, well, he's a workhorse. Won't think of it till his regular vacation. <laughs> uh, look, I haven't. Uh, why don't you take our polar flight to London? Oh. I'm sure we can clear deadhead space for you. <laughs> oh, why, Mr. Chance, that's sweet. Uh, would today be all right? Hello, operations. Captain Danvers here. Oh, that's right, I'm taking the flight to Rome as planned. Um, I wonder what the weight manifest looked like. <laughs> yes, I got a couple of rather heavy packages. Gifts for relatives there. Oh, fine. I appreciate that. See you in an hour. <laughs> Good evening, Captain. I have a gun if you're interested. How, how did you get it? Survive? Well, your nasty lady friend doesn't hit very hard. The shock of the cold air revived me enough to open the chute. A long walk and some checking, and I am. I notice you've a package or two there. Mind if I open them? Oh, nice. Where's the rest? I don't have it. Oh, can't expect me to believe that, can you? But it's the truth. Janice Levitt took her half and left. I'm supposed to meet her in Rome tomorrow. Uh-huh. Well, I guess it makes sense. Hey, wait. Hey. <laughs> can't you leave me, son? <laughs> A little? Afraid not, Captain. Fair's fair, you know. Oh, one thought. I wouldn't go to the police. They might find this whole thing a little hard to believe. Ciao, Captain. Damn. 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 Damn.
Thank you, sir. Thank you. Goodbye. Goodbye. Oh, Mr. McAllister, it was a real pleasure having had you on my flight. I kind of wish we were laying over in Madrid. Enjoy your stay. Thank you, I will. Gavin! Gavin, over here! <laughs> you made it! Gavin! How does it feel to be half a Spanish millionaire? <laughs> Bakery. Ritz is celebrating its 40th birthday with a Ritz Blitz. That means you're going to save a lot of money because... I see it! I see it! I can't see it! The crowd is getting very excited. We're waiting for the Motors Ritz birthday box. We've been told there are money-saving coupons printed right on the box. 40 cents worth for the Ritz 40th birthday. And I, I think... Yes! Yes! It's here now! I've got the first Ritz birthday box right in my head. It is magnificent. There's a coupon to save you 13 cents on Nescafe instant coffee. Save 10 cents on Nutter Butter Cookies. 7 cents on Blue Bun and Margarine. And save 10 cents on Snack Make Cheese Spread. Save a total of 40 cents during the Ritz 40th birthday celebration. Remember, everything's great when it sits on a Ritz. So look for the Ritz Crackers birthday box from Nabisco at your grocer's now. Happy birthday, Ritz. Offer void where prohibited by law. I'm Rob Sterling. Close your eyes, exercise your imagination, and join us again on our next presentation of The Zero Hour. Fair's Fair, You Know, is an original radio drama by Keith Walker. Jackie Cooper was heard as Gavin McAllister. Featured in the cast were Jane Webb, Jenny Tyler, John Larch, Jack Crucian, and Ben Cooper. Zero Hour, created by J.M. Colas, directed by Don Hills, is produced in Hollywood for the Mutual Casting System by Radio Productions Incorporated. Music is composed and conducted by Stanley D. Hoffman, Rochelle Sherman, associate producer. This has been a presentation of the Mutual Broadcasting System. Famous Cigarettes presents The Big Story. Two phone conversations took place about the same time. One between a man named Tom Cooey and his wife. Don't talk like that, Tom. Don't. I can't help it, Celia. If he goes on like this, I swear I'll kill him. Ed Rumley's a crump. Tom, promise me you won't do anything. Some partner. Lazy, lies to me, never does any work, blames me. I swear, one more stunt like that one in Galveston, and I swear I'll kill him. The other was between the first man's partner, Ed Rumley, and his brother. In Galveston, he pockets 50 bucks. I know it for a fact, Jack. 50 bucks. Then he tells me he took in 25 and splits that with me. Look, Ed, talk to him. He's your partner. Yeah, yeah, my partner. Some partner. Some swindler. But I'll tell you one thing, Jack. One more deal like that. Just one. And Tom Cooey's going to be a dead man. The Big Story. Here is America. Its sound and its fury, its joy and its sorrow, as faithfully reported by the men and women of the great American newspapers. Little Rock, Arkansas. From the pages of the Arkansas Gazette, the story of a puzzle whose pieces would not match until a reporter put them together. Then they spelled murder. 
to Joseph Wurgis of the Little Rock, Arkansas Gazette for his brilliant work in this jigsaw of crime goes the Palmell Award for the big story. Palmell's greater length filters the smoke on the way to your throat. That's important. Palmell's greater length filters the smoke on the way to your throat. Filters the smoke and makes it mild. Yes, Palmell's greater length of traditionally fine, mellow tobaccos means a longer natural filter to screen and cool the smoke. Thus, Palmell gives you a smoothness, mildness, and satisfaction no other cigarette offers you. Palmell famous cigarettes, outstanding. And they are mild. Palmell's greater length filters the smoke on the way to your throat. That's important. Pell-Mell's greater length filters the smoke on the way to your throat. Filters the smoke and makes it mild. If you really want to enjoy smoking, ask for the longer, finer cigarette in the distinguished red package. Pell-Mell. story as it actually happened. Joe Werge's story as he lived it. Little Rock, Arkansas. All your life, you, Joe Werges of the Arkansas Gazette, did one thing well. Police reporting. You did it so well, there wasn't a crime committed in Little Rock in the last 31 years, and most of Arkansas for that matter that you weren't connected with. Not just reporting it, but helping, sleuthing, asking questions, finding answers. So, at 55, you were something of a legend in Little Rock. No crime was complete without Joe Wurgis on the spot. And that was why you were sore at the young, new lieutenant of homicide, Sam Halder. Sore because the first you knew of it was when you heard Halder's report. Bonnie found an empty lot adjacent to farm of Cy Travers, Rose City, two miles north of Little Rock. Dead one week, face disfigured, clues none, identification impossible. You've got to the scene of the crime, Travers Farm, two hours after the police. Two hours. Usually you beat them by at least half an hour. With your son, Gene, a cub on the paper, you walk up to the new lieutenant two hours late, and say it right out. What's the idea? Huh? Oh, hello, Joe. What's the idea, Lieutenant? You know my son, Gene. Hi, Gene. Hello, Lieutenant. What idea? Well, don't I read anymore? Man's murdered, no clues, identification difficult. Don't you call me anymore? Ah, look, Joe, the weather's bad. I got the news at 7 this morning, and it's a goose chase. I didn't want to get you out of bed unnecessarily. I'm used to cold weather, bad weather, any kind of weather. And I like goose chases. Maybe you think I'm getting old, is that it? Ah, quit it. You know, I respect you and all that. Okay, okay. Now, what do you mean identification is difficult? On my report, I said impossible. No such a thing, Lieutenant. Where is he? Down that dip where the cop is? Uh, Can I look? Take a few pictures? No such thing as impossible. (laughs) You're quite a guy, aren't you? Yep. Uh, Let's walk on over. I wrote identification impossible on my report because, one, we don't know who's dead... 
Two, we don't know who killed him. Three, we don't find any clothes, no wallet, no identification whatsoever. How about on the underwear? Uh, four, if, if you let me finish. No identification on the underwear or anywhere on the scene of the crime. Oh, there's the body. Look, Gene, see him? Yes, Pa. Always look at a body from like uh, ten feet away. Gives you perspective. See? Uh-huh. I see, Pa. Now, take a picture from here, Gene. Then one from the feet. Then a close-up. I'll stay here and tell the lieutenant why I said identification is difficult, but not impossible. Now, you're bluffing, Joe. What tells you the identification? And not the identification, lieutenant. It just gives me ideas. Two men camped out in this field. One the dead man, the other the guy who did it. Footprints of two men are quite clear. Well, okay, two men did camp out. Travers, the farmer, says a week ago two men asked to sleep out in this field. They had a car? Yeah. It looks like amateur crime, not a gangster killing. Gangster'd never pick a place like this, too open. Gangster'd never let himself be seen by Travis. Uh, so what? So, as amateurs, they bungled. Somewhere they bungled. Left something for somebody to find. Joe, I heard you theorize before, and, and I heard about how you solved cases, but honest, you never heard anything like this before. Well, exactly. Uh, Gene, you finished? Yeah, sir. Okay, now over there. See? About a hundred yards over there. Papers. See? Uh-huh. Lots of little pieces of papers. Scattered all over. Are those scraps of junk? You don't mean to tell you me... Get that... a big bag, Gene. Pick up everything you see, even if you can't make it out. Okay, Pa. So, what do you think you're doing? I said they were amateurs. Amateurs always leave something for somebody who can read it. Follow me? Joe, I'm afraid you're... Slipping? Getting old? Maybe so, Lieutenant. Maybe so. But I'd advise you not to file that report on identification impossible for 24 hours. Don't have to listen. Just my advice. Can't see anymore. Well, you go to bed, Jean. Why don't you stop shuffling these scraps of paper, Pa? You've been at it 20 hours and we haven't got a thing. You think the lieutenant's right, too. I'm getting old. I didn't say that, Pa. I'll sit with you all day tomorrow and the next day. Only... Only I sounded awful big, didn't I? 24 hours, lieutenant. I sounded swell-headed. Well, not exactly. Ah, now I think I got something. What, Pa? Look, Jean, a letter. Part of a letter, anyhow, an envelope. This little piece in green ink, that did it. What have you got? The letter signed Delia, see? Uh-huh. Lonely for you, Delia. And in the same handwriting, same ink, is this envelope. To Tom C-O-U, and there's a letter missing, Y. C-O-U blank Y. Yeah, but, Pa, that might not be the murdered man or the murderer. It might be, well, anybody. True. Might be someone who, uh picnic there a year ago, tore up the letter and left it there, right? Sure. Or maybe a passing motorist threw it out the window. Then why am I excited? Because it might also be the murdered man or the murderer. Right? Well, you begrudge me the answer. Mm, I suppose so. Never begrudge an aging father an answer. Come on, Gene. We're still under the 24 hours and I really got something for Lieutenant Halder. Mm-hmm. 
So his name is C-O-U blank Y. Cooley, Cooley, something like that. And he's got a wife named Delia. Uh, that's all, Joe? The letter was mailed from Bridgeport. Yeah. Long shot under the lawn, but I'll put a call through. You don't have to. What? I already did. I put the call through, told the operator to connect you here at your office. Soon as she got a Mrs. Delia C-O-U blank Y in Bridgeport. Well, I don't okay. say it, Lieutenant. Lieutenant Halder, homicide. Hey, you. Thank you. Hello? Uh, hello. This is Mrs. Delia Cooey. Oh, hello, Mrs. Cooey. Her name is Cooey. Uh, who is this? Uh, Mrs. Cooey. My name is Joe Wurgis from Little Rock, Arkansas. Uh, nothing to be alarmed at. Just, uh, your husband's name is Tom. Is that right? That's right. Have you heard from him? Uh, no, ma'am. Just, uh, just a routine newspaper check. Oh. Have you heard from him? No, I, I thought it was him calling. See, it's been a long time, over ten days, and he always writes or phones me. Has something happened? No, Mrs. Cooey, it's nothing definite. Just, uh, we may have some information for you. If we do, we'll get in touch with you. Uh, uh, Mrs. Cooey, how old is your husband? He's 32. Something is the matter. As I said, if anything comes up, we'll call you back. Don't worry. Uh, why didn't you tell her, Joe? Tell her what, Lieutenant? I tell her to come down and identify the body. Well, it's her husband we found in the field. Ah, oh, now you know it as well as I. Might be. But then again, it might not. What are you talking about now? Did you take a good look at that body? I spent a day going over that body. Did you see his teeth? I saw his teeth. Are those the teeth of a man 32? A false upper plate? Well, it's happened before. Did you look at his feet? Bunions on his feet. Huh? Are those the feet of a man of 32? That man was 50, at least. Well, just because a guy has a plate in his mouth and bunions, well... Well, maybe he's a 32-year-old mail carrier. It's possible. But I say our man's 55. He's a day. All right, I've said my piece. What are you going to do? File the death certificate in the name of Tom Cooey. What are you going to do? First, give you some free advice. Don't. And second, I'm going back and finish that jigsaw puzzle I've been working on with Jean. There's still a few pieces of paper have me worried. You've got Lieutenant Hall to worried. But you're worried too, Joe Urgis. A few pieces of paper have you worried. One, a half-torn receipt with a number, 73,569. And the other... The name of a post office, Hudson Terminal Post Office, on a somewhat similar piece of paper. You wonder if the two go together. If you have on the disarrayed table in front of you two pieces of a receipt for a registered letter. Well, suppose you have, Pa. Then maybe the amateur murderer tore up this receipt and you'll find his name. Oh, that's a thousand to one. At least two thousand to one, Gene. It might be the murdered man tore up the receipt, or it might be neither of them did it. Maybe it's 73,569 to one, Gene. But I like long shot. You play the long shot. A phone call to a friend in the post office at Hudson Terminal. And you find that the letter was mailed three months ago by a man named Ed Rumley to his brother Jack in Sacramento, California. So you put through a call to Sacramento. Uh, Mr. Rumley, uh, you've got a brother named Ed? That's right. He's about 55? 
Edge 54. False upper plate in his mouth? That's right. Say, what is this? Bunions on his feet. Bad bunions. Yes, but what's this all about? Uh, Mr. Rumley, you'd better hop a plane and get out to Little Rock as soon as you can. I'm afraid your brother's been murdered. We'll be back in just a moment with tonight's big story. Cy Harris, returning it to your narrator, and the big story of Joe Burgess, as he lived it and wrote it. First, Lieutenant Sam Halder announces that the identification of a murdered man is impossible. And you, Joe Burgess of the Arkansas Gazette, prove that wrong. Then, he announces that the murdered man is one Tom Cooey. And you, blandly write a lead story for your paper that the murdered man is Ed Rumley. To be on the safe side, you don't run the story, because the identification by Rumley's brother on his way from California hasn't been made yet. But when Rumley's brother arrives and takes one look at the body, you know you're right. The murdered man is Ed Rumley. So you run your story, and you and the lieutenant get on with the case. So your brother and Cooey were partners, Mr. Rump. That's right, Lieutenant. And he and Cooey didn't get along. They hated each other. Yes, that's true. They were partners in business, sold auto polish together, and they weren't doing well. They fought a lot. Now, was it a surprise to you your brother was killed? I knew they had trouble, but I never thought it had come to this. You think Cooey did it? I don't know. Uh, why don't we let the man go to his hotel, Lieutenant? Huh? He's had a great shock, his brother's death and all that. Uh, yeah. Yeah, uh, sorry, Mr. Rumley. That's all right. Thank you. Thank you. Now, Joe, I think we sent out a dragnet for a man named Cooey. Tom, C-O-U-E-Y. Right? Right. But here, you're both wrong. It isn't two minutes later when the desk sergeant opens the door and lets in a tall man wearing a Palm Beach suit. Lieutenant Halder, I'm Tom Cooey. You're Cooey? Yes, sir. I uh, read a story in the paper that Ed had been killed. I thought I could be of help and got here as soon as I could. Uh, well, where have you been? Well, as, uh, as you see, I didn't even bother to change my clothes. I was in Florida. I took a plane and got here as soon as possible. Ed was a good friend. Lieutenant, Gene's outside. You mind if I get him? No, go ahead, you. Do anything you like. Uh, sit down, Mr. Cooey. Uh, anyway, I can help, Lieutenant. Well, just tell me. You and Rumley were partners? Yes, that's right. Auto polish lad. But uh, about three months ago, we broke up. We weren't doing too well. We split what we had. Ed took the stock. I took the car, and we just parted. Friendly? Why, Ed was the salt of the earth. You uh, have no idea how this distresses me. Just hold it, Mr. Cooey. What? Uh, pictures. Go ahead, Gene. One from the side, then one from the front. Uh, well, what are you shooting pictures for now, Joe? Just routine. Uh, uh, okay. Now, uh, you were friends with Rumley. Were you ever in this territory? Oh, yes. Were you ever in Little Rock, Mr. Cooey? Recently, no. About six years ago, I was. But not recently? No. Ever in Knoxville? 
a year ago for pleasure, but not recently. When did you last see Rumley? Well, uh, let me see now. Uh, must be four months ago. And where did you see him last? Richmond. We split up in Richmond, as I said. He took the stock, the polish, and I took the car, and... And that was the last time I saw him, poor fellow. Uh-huh. Well, uh, thanks for coming in, Mr. Cooey. Lieutenant, can I say a word? You don't have to wish, but you... You aren't going to let him go, are you? Huh? Maybe Travis ought to see him, the farmer. Remember? One of them asked Travis for permission to camp on his farm, remember? Yeah, I remember. Okay, okay. Uh, uh, Mr. Cooey, I'll have to keep you for, uh, oh, a few hours. Uh, make it 24, Lieutenant. Why? Uh, just to be on the safe side. Trust me. Just a few hours, Mr. Cooey. Just routine. Mr. Travers, it was on your property they stayed that night, huh? That's right, Lieutenant. Now, just look at this man and tell me. Did you ever see him before? Was he one of the men? That man? Nope, never saw him before. Uh, satisfied, Joe? I'd still say make it 24 hours, Lieutenant. What? Given to an old man's whim, Lieutenant. Okay. Okay. I'm awfully sorry, Mr. Cooey. Just a few more hours. Where's Dean Wurgis? Dean, where are you? Here I am, Lieutenant. Now, where's Joe? Where's your father? Gee, I don't know, Lieutenant, but he said he'd be here. Well, I've been waiting half the day for him. He said he'd be here at six. I'm going to let Cooey go. He said, please, to wait. 24 hours, he said, Lieutenant. 24 hours? What for? The man's innocent. Why am I holding him? Suspicion of murder? I've got no suspicion of murder. What's your old man doing, anyway? I don't know, Lieutenant, but he said, please, to wait. Well, it's 7. He's gotten until 8 o'clock. Not a minute more. Tell him that. I don't know where to find him. 8 o'clock. I don't care. <laughs> Lieutenant Walter. It's 8.15 and he's not here yet. Did you hear from him? No, sir, I didn't. Okay. Bring Cooey in, Sergeant. I'm releasing him. Don't be so hasty, Lieutenant. Uh, what pa? Did you find anything? I think it's a fine idea to bring Cooey in, but I don't think you ought to release him. Well, what did you find? Well, what have you got? Well, tell me. You ought to develop patience, Lieutenant. Gene, patience is an aspect in the old as well as in the young. You wanted to see me, Lieutenant Walter? Yes, Mr. Cooey, I did. Well, go ahead, Joe. Uh, Mr. Cooey, sit down in that chair. You'll be more comfortable than standing. Lieutenant? Yeah, go ahead, sit down. Go ahead, Joe. Uh, I have a document here, Mr. Cooey. Just a second. That says... No, this is the letter I forgot to mail for my wife. Ah, here it is. A letter from your wife, Mr. Cooey. From Delia. From Delia? Oh, don't be alarmed. Perfectly harmless letter. Miss you, love you, write more often. But that's not what I'm after. It's the envelope I call to your attention. Well, what about it? The postmark. Plural. Postmark. This was sent to you in Knoxville, then forwarded to you in Little Rock. Note it bears three postmarks. Bridgeport, where she mailed it from, Knoxville, and Little Rock. Uh, so what, Joe? Suggesting that Mr. Cooey was at one time in Knoxville and later in Little Rock. Two facts which, if I remember correctly, he denied. Were you? Uh, well, I, I, uh, uh yes, yes, I, I guess I was. Now, with that much cleared, we ask this question. Uh, Mr. Cooey, were you ever in Rose City? 
Rose City, to refresh your memory, was the place where Ed Rumley met his death. On the farm of a man named Travers in Rose City. Ever there? No, never. Good. You also told us you never sold automobile polish in Knoxville or Little Rock or Rose City in the company of Ed Rumley. Yes, that's true. I was in Knoxville and Little Rock, but not with Rumley. We broke up in Richmond four months ago. I told you that. Oh, yes, so you did. But if it should be established that you did sell the polish in all those cities with Rumley within the past month, you might look like a liar. I said I never did, and that's all I've got to say. And here in my pocket I have... No, that's my telephone bill. Uh, here I have seven depositions from auto store owners in Little Rock and Rose City, swearing that you and Ed Rumley together sold them polish within the past month. Well, how could they swear that when I never did? Do you recall my son took your picture? Well, armed with that picture and the photo of Mr. Rumley before you murdered him. I never did anything. With these photos, I say, I went to the auto stores and asked if they saw you. And uh, these depositions say they did. Seven, Lieutenant Halder. Seven. Fairly conclusive. All right, Cooey, let's have the truth. It's about time. Okay. Okay, we sold the polish together, but that's all. I left town two weeks ago and never saw Rumley again. Another lie. One of the depositions says you sold Pollock together the day of the murder one week ago. You hated him and he hated you. Rumley's brother says that, and so does your wife. As a matter of fact, you gentlemen both threatened to kill each other. Come on now, Cooey, start talking. Okay. We were in the field together. We, we camped out in Travis Field. We were broke. That's why we camped out. Rumley threatened me. We were about to go to sleep that night when he threatened me. I, I had to do it. He would have killed me. He had a club. Maybe, maybe it was the carjack. I don't know. And he tried to kill me. I took it away from him. It was self-defense. I, I didn't even think of what I was doing. Oh, how the man lies. Gene, note how criminals lie. First, it was premeditated. You removed not only his clothes, but also the uh, label from the underwear. You were careful to leave his body face down in the water, hoping it would leave him unrecognized. And do you know how I know that? Oh, it was not a hot night. The weather bureau with whom I have just checked tells me the night in question was a very cold night. You slept with your clothes on, and when the deed was done, you removed his clothes, you dragged the body 200 yards to the gully, and left it there. Do you want me to prove each of these points? Or will you sign the full confession I prepared for you? Well, I think Mr. Cooey needs a fountain pen, Lieutenant. Uh, you know he lost his in Travis Field. I found it if you want it, Mr. Cooey, but I don't think you'll have much use for it where you're going. Do you, Lieutenant? Well, Jean, we'd better get along. It's my... It's after nine o'clock. I'd better get to bed. You know, I can't take these late hours anymore. I'm not as young as I used to be. <laughs> Just a moment, we'll read you a telegram from Joseph Wurgis of the Little Rock, Arkansas Gazette with the final outcome of tonight's big story. Mel's greater length filters the smoke on the way to your throat. That's important. Mel's greater length filters the smoke on the way to your throat. 
filters the smoke and makes it mild. Pell Mell's greater length of traditionally fine, mellow tobaccos filters the smoke on the way to your throat. Thus, Pell Mell gives you a smoothness, mildness, and satisfaction no other cigarette offers you. Yes, Pell Mell's are good. Good to look at, good to feel, good to taste, and good to smoke. So if you really want to enjoy smoking, ask for the longer, finer cigarette in the distinguished red package. Pell-Mell Famous Cigarettes. Outstanding. And they are mild. Now we read you that telegram from Joseph Wurgis of the Little Rock, Arkansas Gazette. Realizing his story of self-defense wouldn't stand up in court, Killer in tonight's big story pleaded guilty to the murder and thereby escaped the electric chair. Sentenced to life imprisonment in the penitentiary, he escaped after serving four years but was recaptured two years later. My sincere appreciation for tonight's Pell-Mell Award. Thank you, Mr. Wurgis. The makers of Pell-Mell famous cigarettes are proud to have named you the winner of the Pell-Mell $500 Award for notable service in the field of journalism. Listen again next week, same time, same station, when Pell-Mell famous cigarettes will present another big story. A big story from the front pages of the Joliet, Illinois, Herald News. Byline, William M. Hart. A big story about a reporter who tried to stop an explosion of dynamite. Human dynamite. The big story is produced by Bernard J. Proctor with music by Vladimir Selinsky. Tonight's program was written by Arnold Pearl... Your narrator was Bob Sloan, and Martin Wolfson played the part of Mr. Wurgis. In order to protect the names of people actually involved in tonight's authentic, big story, the names of all characters in the dramatization were changed, with the exception of the reporter, Mr. Wurgis. This is Ernest Chappell speaking for the makers of Pell-Mell Famous Cigarettes. That's it for the Relic Radio Show for this week. There's more from the big story, the Zero Hour, the Relic Radio Show, and thousands of other old-time radio episodes at relicradio.com. You'll also find our shoutcast stream there with even more old-time radio, lots to listen to, all for free, thanks to your support. If you'd like to help out, visit donate.relicradio.com or click on one of the links on the website. Thank you, as always, to those who have, and thanks for joining me this week. Be back tomorrow with Case Closed and next Tuesday with our next episode of the Relic Radio Show.